Welcome to the Inkfeather podcast, which explores the worlds of sci-fi and fantasy books through those who bring them to life. Every other week, we chat with authors and industry pros about their books, including new releases and old favorites. I'm Lauren Zurchin, and this is episode 43, where we chat with author Margaret Owen. Margaret Owen is the author of The Merciful Crow and The Faithless Hawk, which comes out this week. And we talked about her publishing journey, what it's like creating character growth through writing style, and elemental magic, of course, which is one of the big things in the story, and how she brings it to life in a really cool and weird and creative way. Um, and then also the, the three Ps, which I said to her, which are plague, politics, and prejudice. And she covers all of those in this story in a brilliant way. So they're definitely worth your read if you're a fantasy fan. Um, yeah, so stay tuned for all of that. It's a really great interview. She's at a really great publishing story and just, you know, learning what it's like to get inside the head of someone who writes fantasy for a living. It's pretty cool. There's also an amazing pre-order campaign. So you have a little bit of time if you order today. If you listen, there are um, character cards and a poster that you can get if you're in the U.S. Uh, she's also an artist, so she drew the art for them, which is really cool. So definitely check that out. And stay tuned on our end, too. We're going to have a couple giveaways, including some international stuff. So that'll be good. <laughs> on my end, I've been rearranging my house. My long-term boarders have finally moved out, which I'm a little sad about because they were really cool kids. I had two 19-year-old boys who danced for the Pittsburgh Ballet living with me for about a year. It was really fun to have them, and I think they're just delightful kids. Um, God, just saying kids makes me sound old because 19 isn't a kid, but <laughs> there it is. Um, so I've been rearranging my house now that I have it back to just me and trying to make it more user-friendly for work and creating and all of that stuff. So we'll see how it goes. But so far, so good. Um, but yeah, just trying to lean into things. I'm rebranding right now, which will be coming more on uh, upcoming episodes too. You'll hear a little bit of those shifts and also reaching out to people for future episodes. Uh, some people that aren't authors, but have really cool and interesting stories to tell. So stay tuned for that as well. And then on the reading end, I have been reading, I've been rereading a lot. I reread Janine Frost's um, Night Huntress novels, which I love. I uh, am rereading the Aborzen trilogy, which I love. <laughs> I'm reading um, the, the second five books after Percy Jackson, the Heroes of Olympus. I'm reading those with my one of my best friends. Um, and I've just been reading a ton of really great romance novels. So just immersed in the world. And sometimes it's funny, like I, I, I don't necessarily gravitate towards romance novels, but I think because I read so much fantasy for my, my podcast, I just um, sometimes want escapism in that sense. So I'm reading a lot of good romances. So, and I will provide a list in the near future. I don't have my, <laughs> my list near me now, but yeah, lots of good stuff. All right, now on to the interview with Margaret. Thanks for listening. Hi, Margaret. Welcome to the Ink Feather Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you. We are here to talk about your books, The Merciful Crow and The Faithless Hawk. The Faithless Hawk is out on August 18th. 
And it is this awesome fantasy duology with really cool magic stem and weird political stuff happening and really great intriguing characters. And it has been an absolute delight to read. So I'm really stoked to be talking to you about this today. Thank you so much. I, I always just really appreciate hearing that. That makes me so happy. <laughs> so you are quite an interesting person. When your publicist emailed me, I, I actually already had your books on my radar to possibly have you on the podcast anyways. And I oh, happened. Cool. Yeah, I was like, I mean, well, for those of you listening who don't know this about me, uh, if this might be your first episode only, I probably talk about it every episode. I'm a huge bird nerd. And someone had said that there were like the different casts were birds in there before I even read it. I heard that. And of course, the titles have crow and hawk and they're really cool covers so i was like oh this is weird and interesting and there's like plague stuff happening this sounds really cool so and then your publicist i i had her i was talking to her with for someone else and then she was like by the way this awesome person and she's like so she has our books and she's this amazing artist and she has a like she's a podcaster for D D. so i was like oh she's an awesome she's like a nerd and she's a fantasy nerd this is great like you are like the perfect guest for this podcast because <laughs> that is what we do here um so since we are kind of a podcast about i guess you'd say like dreams and fantasy and bringing fantasy to reality and stuff like what's your pub what was your publishing journey because we're on the cusp of book two but mm -hmm. you know we had book one come out last year and just kind of getting to this point you actually before we started recording you told me a really interesting little tidbit that I think isn't that people would want to hear about too so just like give us a little bit of insight about how how we got here sure uh so I started like pretty much I think uh, a significant number of folks did with writing where I was just, you know, in the query trenches mm -hmm. and I, um, I had always, well, you know, I, I'd wanted to be an author since I was about in fourth grade. I saw, <laughs> we had an author visit our, our school and I saw her in the library. And I think that was the moment where a little <laughs> light bulb in my head went off and I was like, Oh my God, that, this is actually a person. This doesn't just sort of, you know, these, these books don't manifest themselves. And that yeah. means I could do this for a job. And then my parents were like, Molly, please don't do that for a job. <laughs> and, uh, the, you know, the, it was, <laughs> it was a bit of, you know, I went through a couple detours, uh, on the way to <laughs> becoming an author. Um, you know, I, I worked in politics. I got a Japanese degree. I, um, <laughs> I've worked all over the place. Uh, and Sounds about right. <laughs> For most right. creatives I You're know right. are like sort of across the board, you know? Uh-huh. And I wound up like, I think part of the reason I, I just ultimately decided this is something I really need to pursue with my whole heart is that no matter what job I was working in, I always came back to doing some kind of art, some kind of writing and, you know, just trying to tell stories in some way. And uh, it seemed like writing a book would be the the most like the, the most manageable way to become a professional storyteller. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I did the querying thing. I wrote one manuscript that was okay. needs some significant work. I queried that a whole bunch. And I think that was actually um, a very good learning process hmm. in that I learned a lot about what was wrong with the book, about how to fix that, about how to write a really good query, uh, especially when you are writing a good query for a bad book. <laughs> and, um, you know, then when I, when I wrote The Merciful Crow and started pitching it, I was much more prepared to, to pitch, to write a book that would be easy to pitch and to then be able to to pitch that book in a in a efficient and effective way and so uh yeah 
I got my agent in early 2017, and um, then we sold the book a couple months later, which was amazing. Uh, and uh, yeah, it um, it went <laughs> it wound up going to auction, which was really cool. That's uh, awesome. You're right. Very exciting. I, I had you know this very sort of very mm, realistic plan for what my writing career would be, which would be, I would sell a book and then five years later, maybe once I'd had a couple books under my belt, uh, and I would, you know, hopefully at that point be starting to see royalties, then I would start, you know, writing full time. Mm -hmm. Instead, what happened is the book went to auction and then it was like, all right, well, we're going to buy two books. Well, we're also going to buy two books. Well, we'll, I guess we'll buy three books and we've won the auction. And at that point I had done the math to say, well, okay, with this amount of money, I can now afford to do this full time because I know that this will be my income for the next couple of years. Oh my gosh. That's uh, amazing. <laughs> it was, it was really cool. Um, and then, you know, you, you hit all kinds of other challenges like, uh, you know, you write the first book partially for fun, partially for profit, you know, with this idea that this is something that I'm making to sell, but also there isn't a lot of pressure. You aren't like you, the only, the only comp competition you have is yourself. Yeah. And the second book, you know, I had to write under a deadline. I had to write with certain expectations in mind. Um, you know, I had some shifting targets there. And uh, what we were talking about earlier is one of the things that was complicating the factor is that, um, you know, publishers have been sort of viewing a little bit of a burnout on YA trilogies for a while. So mine was acquired as a duology with a third standalone title. And uh, there was a little bit of sort of uncertainty with how we were going to go about that. Um, and so... Finally, I just sort of committed to doing a duology and uh, that, you know, that helped me finish the book for sure. Well, and you had said too earlier that the challenge with that was you had planned it as a trilogy. Like it mm -hmm. was initially plotted out as three books and now you had mm -hmm. to find a way to condense the story down in mm -hmm. a captivating way without missing any pieces and fit it into two books, which is... Mm -hmm. Especially because the first book already went to auction, so I'm guessing you already had to figure out books two and three together into one, which I'm sure was an yeah. interesting challenge. And you said you had to cut <laughs> a bunch of random things too. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I guess that's cool down the road. You might have like bonus content you could release or, <laughs> you know, little yeah. insights or whatnot. But it's funny too because I actually made a note um, when I was reading this when I started book two about how seamlessly they flowed together it I almost was going to be like did she just write both of these at the same time and just happen to pitch the first one like your your voice stayed the same you know it felt very seamless and consistent so the fact that you struggled you said like I didn't feel that as a reader I felt like it didn't feel disjointed or anything oh thank goodness yeah it was it was a, a bit of a challenge I mean it helps that Fi has a very distinct voice, mm -hmm. even though, um, you know, it definitely, the voice where, the, the place where voice starts in the first book and the place where it ends are actually two very different places. Mm -hmm. And I think what's interesting is to watch reader reactions uh, being like, okay, you know, I was having some hard time getting into it, but now it seems like it's going pretty fast um, as they get progressed through the Merciful Crow. And what's happening is actually Fi's voice is actually getting more readable as you go mm -hmm. on because, um, some of the choices that I made with her voice to begin with were that she didn't really use adverbs, um, which 
tend to be sort of they, they they're almost like narrative ball bearings in that they make the you know the sentences kind of easier to read and it's it's like you know just finessing stuff it's almost like sandpaper you know <laughs> it, it, it they make these sentences flow a little bit better and um Phi doesn't use those because that's kind of antithetical or antithetical to her nature uh and uh or, and she doesn't use those in the in the first act um I think she starts gradually introducing them in the second huh. and more more comfortably in the third. And it also sort of reflects how comfortable she's getting with her own role as a chief. Um, and the other half of it is that uh, she doesn't really use... So this is a bit of a linguistics nerd thing. Um, English tends to have... Or English words tend to have one of two uh, sources, either a Latinate root or a Germanic root. Mm -hmm. And we associate words that have a Latinate root with more sort of academic vibes and words that have a a Germanic root with more sort of like, you know, uh, like more sort of like, oh, commoners, peasants kind of stuff. Hmm. And, um, you know, you see that with things like um, the word thief versus... Uh, the word larceny or, you know, theft versus larceny. Theft is a Germanic word. Larceny is, is a, um, you know, is a Latinate word. And I deliberately chose to use as few Latinate words as possible mm-hmm. with Phi as she's starting out because she, she's, she's literally illiterate. Like she doesn't know how to read. And that's, that's part of, you know, the, part of her personal journey is accepting the usefulness of learning how to read later on in the book. Um, I'm sorry to go off on a on a. No, that's about this. so interesting. And now I want to go back and read the first book again and be like, see if I can pick up on this because that's fascinating. And like, I love that you literally used the language of writing to help mm-hmm. manifest even more of her character, other than the the things that we we learned through the book. It's actually part of her intrinsic nature is the way she talks and the way the words you use. That's so cool. Right. And like, (laughs) thank you. And you see her um, in the second or in the first book specifically, uh, more so than the second. Uh, There's a little bit of a shift there, too. uh, But in the first book, you see her starting to gradually introduce adverbs and Latinate words into her vocabulary. The the adverbs reflect her getting more comfortable with her position. The Latinate words reflect her literal vocabulary expanding as she is learning to read. Her world is literally expanding. So and she's also, you know, going into new areas on her own for the first time. No, that makes a physically. lot of sense. Well, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> like you're saying, like, as she's even what you were just saying, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but you were just saying, oh, no. like, how she... <laughs> Because you're right, as you read, you get to experience more things, like the world that you never would have known. So (laughs) Uh that's really interesting. Before we actually dig a little deeper, though, for those listening who maybe don't know what the books are about, I would hope most people listening do, but we do get a lot of people who just are book nerds and want to know more from authors. (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. What kind of what's the elevator pitch when you talk about the series? Like, how do you describe the overall, like, story? Um, so it depends on who I'm talking to for sort of old school YA nerds. I would say that it's Graceling meets Mad Max Fury Road. Um, that like that, that That's is a vibe. That's a very good vibe description. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. That's perfect. Um, for, uh, folks who may not, you know, for, for folks who's that just, you know, your head, it, it just sailed right over your head, which is totally fine. That's, you know, those are two very specific references. Um, I would say it is about, or a story about a girl in a very stratified society who is occupied or, you know, who, whose people are from the lowest part of society, 
who gets tasked with helping the heir to the throne um, escape, you know, an assassination attempt that will that is also threatening her people, mm-hmm. and flee across the country to his allies. But as or in exchange for that, she extracts a promise that he, once upon the throne, will actually utilize his power to address the oppression and persecution that her people have been facing for generations, and also. It, this forces him to confront the fact that his entire dynasty has been complicit, if not exacerbating these issues as well. Um, and, you know, <laughs> you have all kinds of uh, fun nonsense along the way, uh, along this road trip from hell, uh, where <laughs> you have, you know, love interests, not between her, because I, I wanted I wanted their relationship to be sort of very... Um, like, I didn't want romance to play a part in his evolution as a character or hers, um, but, uh, you know, there's all kinds of fun conflicts like, uh, you know, chase scenes, uh, fun teeth magic, uh, and, um, you know, skin monsters like you do. Just yeah. the normal stuff. It's very cool. Well, and I, it's funny, like, they almost are like a sibling relationship in my mind, how they, mm-hmm. like, don't, they, like, there's, like, a love-hate thing. Like, they care about each other, but they also kind of can't stand each other for a while, but then they come to respect each other, and mm-hmm. they're sort of friends, but then there was issues for a while, and they both had to kind of get <laughs> over themselves and see things differently. And, yeah, so I, I really like how um, her and the the prince's dynamic uh, developed and then of course there are other characters involved um, mainly there's a third character who's his guardian and kind of mm-hmm. best friend who's also from a different um, level different I don't know cast is the right word mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. um, yes so she's, yeah it's a, it's a cast <laughs> exactly which uh, the bird stuff mm-hmm. is just so cool and I so <laughs> she is a crow the prince mm-hmm. is a phoenix and the friend, the guardian is, uh, is a hawk. And the hawks are kind of the warriors of the, of the 12 different levels. And uh, mm-hmm. the phoenix, obviously, that makes a lot of sense because we're royalty and magic birds. Mm-hmm. And then um, you have, it's just so, f- <laughs> the magic is system it- is so cool in this book. Like, <laughs> thank you. They're so yeah, great. So uh, <laughs> for, for folks who uh, are big nerds on magic systems, uh, this book is kind of me tackling what happens to a society when different people are born with different types of magic mm. and how they form communities around those and how they form personal evaluations and judgments around those. Mm. And so um, everybody in this in this nation is born into a caste and whatever caste they're born into has a power that's referred to as a birthright. And uh, some people have a more augmented form of that. They are known as witches um, and the, for the most part, the, the power sort of relates in some way to the the name of the cast. Like um, the phoenixes are, you know, they, they are always immune to fire and some of them can control it. The witches usually can control it. Um, other casts like the, the owls usually just have a good memory, but the actual witches can, because they are scholars, because of course I was very influenced by the Tootsie Pop owl. Um <laughs> But the, you know, the, the, the actual witches can manipulate people's memories as well. Um, and the crows are perceived as not having a birthright of their own, which is also a big sort of judgment thing. And um, the, or, but their power, the, the witches can actually temporarily tap into the lingering magic that resides in people's bones. Yeah. And so they, they do that by, you know, using teeth. It's like <laughs> the best one, in my opinion, because you can <laughs> access everybody. Like, literally, it's, I mean, it's great. She, like, has a, they all have, like, 
teeth. They have a necklace of teeth mm-hmm. that they wear, and each tooth has, uh, you know, is from a, one of the different different casts, and you mm-hmm. can just touch it, and they know, you know, they can feel the the life essence of who the person was and what they thought and what they did in a glimpse. They kind of get this insight, and then they're able to access their magical power. So, mm-hmm. like they, you know, the Sparrow <laughs> cast can kind of be they're kind of the working class, and they kind of just are unseen, but the witches can actually make themselves invisible. And so like when they need to hide from the enemy, they pull out the sparrow teeth and tap into them and make themselves. invisible. It's like, man, I, I, even though it's supposed to be the worst one, I'm like, but they have access to all of them. Like they can literally like, Oh, I need you to tell me the truth. Oh, I need to find you for tracking. Oh, I need to have fire explode around me. Like you can do all the things. So it's, it's really cool. Thank you. And it's really, go ahead. Oh, the 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 big challenge, and I think this is the the every once in a while I'll see someone saying, you know, why are the crows not the most powerful? And the the short answer is that you know, imagine so let's imagine you know Superman. Superman has a ton of different powers, right? He's got laser eyes, he can fly, he's got super strength. But imagine each of those only lasted five minutes, as long as you were holding a special magic tooth. Yeah. Like so, Superman can only fly for five minutes as long as he's holding the super special magic tooth. He can only shoot his laser teeth, or you know, his, well, not a laser teeth. Laser although teeth. that would be you're right. <laughs> I love that. You know, now there's a visual. Oh, God. <laughs> You know, but he can only shoot his laser eyes, you know, as long as he's holding a special magic tooth and as long as the magic in that tooth lasts. Mm -hmm. And some of those teeth are incredibly rare. So you have the sparrow teeth, which can, if it's from a witch, it can make someone completely invisible. If it's not a witch, then they they can just kind of go unnoticed. And those only last for so long. And you only have so many of them. Like the sparrow witches themselves are incredibly rare. So, or, and, the idea, the way that you go about getting someone's teeth, you know, is inherently uh, a, they're a limited quantity. So if you have like, you know, one in a million people whose teeth are capable of this knowledge, you have to go about getting those teeth. Mm-hmm. But you have to, you know, you have to be very careful in how many you use at one point in time and whether or not that's the best point in time to be using that or to be burning that resource. Wow. And there's even a, at the beginning of the book, <laughs> I found it really interesting too. She talked about... Uh, Fi, our main character, has <laughs> basically has a large quantity of of some rare teeth, and and is like mm-hmm. uh, even says to herself, "Wow, you know, a couple months ago I didn't even have these, and now I'm like scared to lose any or get rid of any or part with any yes. or and it's like this become this security blanket because it's this power that they've never had access to before because it's like the rarest yeah. and the hardest to get, and they finally were able to manage to finagle some." Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's really it is really interesting, and I'm I'm really curious to see because I'm only about halfway through uh, the second book right now, and I'm really curious to see how it all kind of keeps unfolding and and how <laughs> these truths get revealed. And because you um you really did uh, plotting wise, like you know obviously book one you're introducing us to the world, the main characters. There's obviously m- more things that it revealed there's a couple big secrets and spoilery things that I don't want to mention but that happened at the end of book one uh that are kind of like oh wait what and then mm-hmm. but like I, I made a note of it like 30 pages in to the second book this humongous secret <laughs> drops and I was like holy crap 30 pages in I literally think I said holy crap out loud when I was reading this like <laughs> what and I was like I uh-huh. mean but it's fascinating because now that's going to shape the rest it shapes the rest of the book and the thinking and the way things are kind of perceived and, and pursued because of mm-hmm. this this thinking and it was really um 
very just very <laughs> interesting to see how the the evolution of the of the world and the magic in the characters so it was really well done and then considering that you had to like mesh things together and it wasn't your initial intended <laughs> story vision uh mm-hmm. I, i'm very impressed <laughs> I was, oh, thank you i am very it, impressed. <laughs> you know one of the challenges was saying you know i've plotted this to be a three act story so five stories the first act uh you know the second book would be the second act the third book would be the third act um and what i had to do like what i really had to do in order to make this work was say to myself how do i change this so you know the first book was the first half and this book is the second half of a story what is going to make this because like, i i know i always i never start a book without knowing where it ends and i because i have to have that target to shoot for no matter what and especially that goes with a uh, series you know i i think you know, some of the most frustrating moments in a series can be where you feel like there was a good ending and it just kind of veers off the rails and goes mm. somewhere else completely. And, uh, you know, it undoes work that was, you know, already already there in the first book you know, or, you know, in earlier books. And so I always wanted to have a very clear vision of how this ended. And I was able to keep that, thankfully. Um, but it was, you know, the question that I had to answer was, how do I transform this book? You know, or how do I transform this story into something where the first half is already told and the second half is what, what you get now with the second book. Mm -hmm. And how do I make that ending still also uh, line up with, you know, how do I get to that ending that much faster? Do you feel good with what happened? Like, obviously we're coming to publication, <laughs> so we're, we're, here we are. <laughs> but I You're mean, right. like, are you happy with how it ended up? Like, because you had to get creative, but I mean, I feel mm-hmm. like that would be an interesting challenge. I'll probably frustrating one at times, but also an interesting <laughs> challenge to be like, okay, how do I how do I finagle this? Like, how do You're I right. fix my books? <laughs> the I think for a little while there, what I was trying to do was um, sort of thread this needle where I, I was like, you know, I can write, you know, a a certain amount of this before, uh, you know, and then, you know, or I can get to a certain point. And then at that point we should, you know, land really firmly on whether this is going to be a duology or a trilogy. And Mm. that didn't really work for me. Uh, You know, the first, the first act is, is fine, but it definitely, I think has a couple spots where you can feel kind of my, uncertainty and frustration which works because Fi is also very uncertain and frustrated too um but uh you know at at a certain point then when i you know was like okay no this is going to be a duology because i'm not going to try to write this book that is an is a defined and you know, I, I can't i can't try to to split the difference between a defined ending and or you know the you know the the big ending that i have in mind or a book that sort of leaves too many doors open in case I get to tell that ending again, you know, so further on down the line. And, you know, I, 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 I wanted to just sort of really, really go all like if, if I'm making these narrative promises in the first book and, you know, in what I've written of the second book of, you know, this is, these are all these things that I have in mind. Um, or, you know, this is, these are the, the ideas that I'm building towards then to not deliver them at <laughs> the end of a series is just the biggest, like, it's the biggest 
like it's it's like it's like getting a fake check, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like uh, you know, one of those <laughs> one of those cards that you get that's like you've won a hundred dollars if you give us a hundred dollars first. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't it doesn't it, it rings hollow. And so what was the most important thing for me at the end of the day was delivering the the ending that I knew was the ending for five story, even if it meant, you know, saying there isn't going to be a third book no matter what. Uh, you know, or if I do a third book, it's going to it's going to be very different and it's not going to feel like, you know, it's not going to be the big explosive ending that I had in mind. It's going to be something else entirely. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of chuckling because there's an author this year who <clears throat> released two books kind of surprisingly, the second book. And mm-hmm. the first book has already come out and the second book's coming out this fall. And my friend read the first book and just messaged me and was like, that was the worst ever. It's really not two <laughs> books. It's just one book that they split or something because no questions were answered. She was so mad. And she's oh. a big fan of this author and was like mm-hmm. so pissed because she was like, don't read it yet. I was like, oh, okay. She's like, no, just don't. And because you'll just be so frustrated. And, oh, and she was just like mm-hmm. so pissed. So just hearing how you're saying, yeah, you know, delivering that that <laughs> comfortable conclusion yeah. that the reader feels satisfied with um i like that you obviously that was the, obviously the end goal and and just trusting that oh, okay yeah. well yeah i have these two books let's let's do it let's figure it out mm-hmm. yeah because i think you know there's if anything uh if, if we learned anything in 2019 it's between avengers and game of thrones you gotta stick that landing man lord and good, and good, good references <laughs> of like oh yeah you're right you know the the at the end of the day too um it's one thing for marvel and for george R. R. martin to, well or, you know or for it's for one thing for marvel and hbo to kind of wave off an okay ending um i you know this is my first series and if i mess up the landing on that you know if i if i stumble then there are people who are never going to buy my books again Mm -hmm. because they don't trust me to end a series and so um you know it was important for me to really just you know i didn't i don't have to be simone biles i just have to stick the landing you know (laughs) but you know you aim as close to simone as you can and see where Mm -hmm. you land and hope that it's Somewhere between okay and, and Simone and hopefully closer to her than not. That's good. <laughs> You're right. Um, from what I've seen review wise, I'm like I said, I'm only halfway through. I'm enjoying <laughs> it. I haven't put it down since I've started it. I, I stopped basically <laughs> to talk to you um, and I will be finishing it this afternoon. So um, it's but the reviews and things I've seen on Goodreads and people are just so satisfied by the ending. So that it should feel really good for you to see that like the it first does. feedback is like, oh, yes, people are getting they're getting it, you know, um, mm-hmm. it really does. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really curious, why birds? Do you just have a thing for birds? Or do you just uh, thought they worked really well for, like, how basically, because you have these magic things, but how did you mm-hmm. decide which bird tied into which magic? I mean, phoenix and fire mm-hmm. obviously makes sense. But, mm-hmm. like, and it crows, it's almost like, I don't know when this makes sense in in your mind or if this is even what you were going for, but, like, Crows are in the same family as magpies, and magpies tend to hoard things. And so I like the in my mind, I was like, "Oh, it's a corvid. They have all the teeth with all the different kinds." Like that made sense in my mind as a mm-hmm. bird nerd. So, like, did you just figure out all the magic and then see which bird fit the best, or like, how did you figure that out? Because it is such a very cool and specific magic. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so one of my things, one one of my sort of world building things that I tend to do is, ha- or 
whenever I'm, I'm world building specifically, it tends to be kind of like this just primordial soup of a bunch of different concepts that are floating around at once. And then when they start like, you know, banging into each other, then something <laughs> will be like, you know, oh, hey, hey, there's a lightning strike. And uh, here's this thing that's sort of this idea that's evolving, but it's also evolving as a result of what it came from and where it's going. And so when I was developing the world, um, the first thing that that came about were the crows, um, which is appropriate on a couple of levels that <laughs> you will find out later. Um, but the the I had this idea for um, wandering executioners, basically. But I was like, there is no reason to have a wandering executioner because there's just not that much crime that demands an execution going on at any one point in time. Hmm. Um and so I was like, all right, well, what if, you know, I've always liked uh, plague doctors. So what if there were, you know, what if there was like a plague that only they could handle for a specific reason? Um, and so, you know, I sort of married those two concepts mm -hmm. and the image of the plague doctor mask was very evocative of, of crows. And I was like, yep. all right, well, they're going to be called the crows, which is why I, I the, the title was actually one of the first things that came to me all the way back in 2014. Um and from there, I was like, okay, so we're going to be doing a cast system. And um, what is the opposite end of crows? It, you know, so crows are mundane. They're seen as kind of scavengers. They're seen as um, almost, you know, sometimes they're seen, they're treated like they're just like stealing or like, you know, living off mm -hmm. of the work of other people, which is part of the, 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 like, the, there's a, that's a very, it was a very specific choice is that, you know, yeah. this, they're, they're kind it. of derided yep. right and even like, like carrion crows and they're the ones who kind of deliver death and like this exactly. there's so many little subtle things that <laughs> if you know crows and no birds mm -hmm. i just was like totally into this so i <laughs> i am with you 100 percent here awesome thank you yeah and you know i i personally love crows i throw them peanuts off my <laughs> off my balcony um and you know there was also the 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 little girl uh, actually in seattle where i live uh who uh was feeding crows and then yes. they were her presence she has you know. that whole tackle box full of the little like uh -huh. charms they were i didn't really remember that was in seattle but i do now that's so cool <laughs> it was, it, you know, it was a really cute story. Although, I mean, it's kind of appropriate for the Merciful Crow. It then wound up being, because it was a, a wealthier district, it became a subject of litigation and threats from her neighbors who didn't like having the crows around. Wonder why, you know? Mm -hmm. It was, um, so that, you know, that there's all that kind of stuff. But um, I wanted to pick for the opposite end of the spectrum if the crows were on the lowest end of the spectrum, uh, which I knew they would be because historically people who work with death are like almost exclusively in the lower casts, if not just the straight up bottom cast or, you know, out like not even it, part of a cast. Um, so the opposite of the spectrum is going to be the royalty. And I was like, you know, this shouldn't be a real bird. This should be something that's like perceived as holy, as divine, as, you know, legendary, because that is the kind of role that they're going to occupy. It's not just they are, they are people just like us. It is that they are literally above everybody else. Mm. Uh, and Phoenix has not only made sense just in terms of like a legendary bird, but also um, as they, they hold the most destructive power out of all of the different powers. Um, and it made sense that the people who not only held the most destructive power, but were also immune to it, they were immune to fire, you know, they're literally fireproof. Um, those people will be the ones who have come to, occupy the highest status in the nation 
be, or because nobody else can challenge that. Yeah, and you can't be touched. Yep, <laughs> exactly. They can't even be touched by their own power. Um, and so, you know, <laughs> at one point I was like, wow, I really made the, uh, the, the most privileged person in this cast literally fireproof like untouchable uh, you know. yep exactly and um once i decided that those were going to be the two kind of ends of the spectrum it just made sense to do all birds all the way down rather than like trying to like go around to do different animals yeah and some of them are a little bit more of a stretch but like um no, but they work it works and it makes sense <laughs> and and uh, you know i could follow your as the reader i could follow where you're going um, mm-hmm. it, nothing seemed like all just dis- too disjointed or anything. So, um, but that's also part of fun of fantasy is you just suspend reality and go, okay, cool. This is what we're doing, you know, but right. it all kind of did make sense to me. And obviously, like you said, some are more obvious than others, like the gulls can manipulate wind, like, mm-hmm. and can help with wind and water and that kind of thing. So <laughs> that makes sense. But like, yeah, it, it was just, it's just really fun to, I was curious <laughs> to see what all the different ones were and what they could do. And elemental magic man it is like my favorite thing and so finding ways that it feels fresh when i'm reading it's always a great thing and so the fact that you had it divided up this way was very interesting to read so um thank you it's interesting too because when i was thinking of like keywords for this talk or this these books three <laughs> three words came to mind were plague <laughs> politics and prejudice and i was like all right we got the three p's and i'm like yep you know, and I was like, my God, it's like this year. And I was laughing because he said uh-huh. all the way back in 2014. And one of my questions was like, so the social inequality and political systems, uh, how long ago did you write this stuff? Because right. holy crap, this year is like the biggest cluster ever. And right. I was just like, okay, well, this could literally be right now, like in so many ways. Yeah. Uh, just wait till you get to the second half oh, of, no. of- yeah, I'm like Faithless right, Hawk. I'm right there yeah. too. Oh great. Am I gonna be messaging you later being like, dude? <laughs> like so <laughs> There is literally a line without being too spoilery where um one of the people one of the villains in power says um explicitly, you know, I don't hate crows, they're just the sacrifice I'm willing to make to make the country better. And um you know, it's it's something along those lines, uh and that to me, like hearing that, or writing that in August, and then hearing that more or less said explicitly by people in power as as they are managing the, you know, as they're talking about, you know, um, essential workers, as they're talking about nurses yeah. and, and grocery clerks and teachers, the one percent you know, that we can sacrifice because, yep, exactly. Yeah, just saying, you know, well, so we have to make sacrifices, you know, we're going to just yeet the old people into the fires, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but, but I'm sure grandpa doesn't mind just, you know, dying, dying. To, to, for the economy. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty fucking sure grandpa does mind, actually. Thank yeah. you. I just saw a meme <laughs> yesterday. It was like a really beautiful old school painting of Little Red Riding Hood and the wolf. And mm-hmm. the wolf had COVID on it. And the uh, and the thing was like, I'm young. I don't have to worry about you. And the wolf was like, I'm following you <laughs> nope. home for your grandma, honey. And I was like, Oh Ooh. shit! Like it was. That's so, a good. One. That's a good way to put really it. Yeah. Really good. I was like, Huh. All right. Well. Yeah. This is pretty much right. But yeah, yeah. Like, it's weird. It kind of weirded me out a little bit when I like. It's when you funny. Think about it, but... Whoa, and just like the, like you said, the parallels and like especially the political parallels, the caste system <laughs> with the prejudices and like the stereotypes. And I do love that, you know, one of my favorite things about books like this, when you're in the head and the main character is in those lower underappreciated 
you know, places. And then there's usually a person of power who in, intrinsically is a good person. They're naive. They don't understand that they, of the discord, and then they come to see it. That is a wonderful thing to read because it's like, oh, there actually is some, some growth here. There's some understanding here. Like you can actually like, you know, basically for a while in the first book, for most of the first book, the a phoenix and a hawk had to pretend to be a crow and mm -hmm. had to live as crows and had to understand what they dealt with and the crows mm -hmm. pulled no punches basically being like well yeah this is what our lives are like i'm sorry you were oblivious to this crap that we have to put up with and because they, right. they just couldn't believe it like oh there's no right. way that those people are going to make you bribe them yeah actually they do every single time but they're not yeah, supposed right. to yeah. well yeah we're not supposed yeah. to but they do you're you know? right and so, you know, yeah, just reading about the the analogies. And it's funny, too, because obviously, you know, plagues and diseases are more prevalent. I actually laugh <laughs> when I think about that, because all the way back in March, maybe February, March, I was rereading the Lunar Chronicles because I had Marissa Meyer to interview and I hadn't read them in years. And Cinder, I don't know if you were, if you've read those or if you remember those, if you have read them, basically a plague is like a really prevalent thing throughout the whole book like the the four books and i was like reading it and it was messing with my head because it was right when covid was exploding in america and i'm reading about this plague and i'm like oh my god we're all gonna die and like it was like the first thing was like oh no she had it and like the whole market had to be burnt down because it couldn't get out and i was like oh my god this is the world i was like freaking out in my mind you know so mm -hmm. maybe i'm drawing more parallels <laughs> from your books than I should be but I just thought no, it was no. a little too eerie that uh some of this stuff really rings true in regards to the prejudice the politics and just you know a lot of the 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 science the plague science I guess or the, mm -hmm. the what's happening around that so it's just fair I bet as, yeah. you, as an author you're just going hmm you know, one of the things that I wanted to be, you know, it was it was a needle that I wanted to be very deliberate about how it was threaded was one thing that we do experience in our society today is that people who have different forms of illness, be it chronic illness, uh, you know, or different acquired illness tend to be treated like they've done something wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my, my family has a long and proud tradition of chronic, you know, of autoimmune diseases. And what I kind of wanted to do was say, no, or, you know, you see a lot of narratives where it's like, well, oh, I guess, you know, that person got diabetes and it's their fault. Or, you know, just sort of a lot of casual jokes that associate illness with wrongdoing. And I wanted to be like, you know, actually, if there was a divine, if illness was a divine punishment, <laughs> this is what it would look like. Yep. And, you know, the, let's talk about how that actually works. There's a reason that hawks, even though they're healers, can't cure the plague. And not only that, but part it's it's constructed very specifically as a divine punishment in that it doesn't just, you know, engage with the person who did wrong. It also makes community keep a certain level of standard for even the worst people in their community in that if they just say, all right, well, this person brought it on them and they can go die off in a house somewhere. That's fine, except for the plague is going to spread from that body. And if they don't take the steps as a community to call in help to address that then they are all going to suffer and that was a very deliberate choice on my no, part it's to kind make... of insane too it's like yeah by the way if you don't get the plague handled uh mm -hmm. the whole village is gone like the whole town yeah. is gone and it's like oh my and that obviously weighs on the crows too because as the ones who can't catch the plague it's their responsibility to answer when they're called or the loss of that village is on their conscience and on them you know also 
politically right. too like you can be punished for that obviously but mm-hmm. uh yeah it is very interesting because it's even like um you know like well what have you done why why are, it's the sinner's plague what did you do to deserve this and people are like i don't mm. know but it's like well you did something you know like right and it's it, it, it's like you know the the person who goes out without a mask and then brings back covid to their entire household and you know it's it, it's that kind of thing of you have to take some sort of level of personal responsibility but also as a community you need to set up these environments you know the mm. the impetus is on the community to set up a a a structure or set up a social situation where these things can be addressed as a community hmm. Man, what a talk about timely publication. Seriously. <laughs> I really wish it wasn't. I know, but I it's very interesting to be like, well, yeah, here we go. So, I mean, but I, I will say as someone who's obviously living through this like everyone else, um, it, it is it is enjoyable to read because it's, you know, it's fantasy enough that it's not obviously our world but it's close enough that i'm like yep yep drawing parallels and going yep mm-hmm. but it's still i'm still able to appreciate it as it is as a is its own fantasy story so which is good um <laughs> you were saying earlier before we started that you have some really cool like pre-order incentives going on right now yeah. with, with book two i do um so right now we have actually kind of a dual pre-order campaign so for any pre-order in the u.s um whatsoever fierce reads is sending folks a poster that i illustrated that is pretty dang cool it is very cool (laughs) thank you i you know i i i i can take some credit for the art but they really did a fantastic job with printing it and they've also like thrown some gold foil on the lettering and it's just yeah it's so cool um but yeah, so you just have to submit your pre-order receipt to Fierce Reads. Um, I think there's links on my website, which is margaret-owen.com, uh, and uh, under books. Uh, but yeah, you just have to submit your, your pre-order receipt to Fierce Reads for that. And then also, we are shipping uh, character cards uh, with every pre-order that's placed through my local indie third-place books Uh and that's for for the faithless hawk and those are also illustrated by me and those are exclusive to third place books so if folks want to get those i would i would strongly encourage y'all to support my local indie uh but um yeah they are only going to be available through third place books right now oh so. Very cool so if you want both that's order through third place books Mm-hmm. That's basically what i'm saying cool yeah that actually sounds great and the poster really is beautiful like even if you <laughs> you know, order on however you normally order, you can at least get that. And it's totally worth submitting because it's really cool art and it's got all the main (laughs) characters on it and um, some just weird magic imagery. That's very cool. Um, It is. um, There's a, there's some imagery or, you know, different like kind of things in the background of both the character cards and the poster that are, um, They'll make more sense later on. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I was wondering. I was like, oh, there's a couple of things I want to know about, but I don't want to ask you because I don't want to know if I shouldn't know yet. Like, <laughs> it actually did run through my head because there's a couple things specifically in the poster that I'm like, hmm, what is that all about? But I don't want to know. But I kind of want to know. But I'll ask you later if I still don't know. Like, <laughs> basically, once I'm done. But hopefully I'll figure it out. Um, so what are you working on now? You said you had that contract for book three. Are you are you plotting a book three? Are you working on some things? Is writing is your full-time thing now? Or are you just waiting to get through this and then going to go into the next thing? 
So I feel a little bit like the Avatar in that I managed to uh, actually write my third book uh, as the plague was setting in. I, I, um, my third book actually was drafted between December and the beginning of March. uh, And so we are in the middle of line edits right now. I'm probably going to head over to copy edit soon. Oh, wow. But uh, it is. Yeah, yeah, this stuff happens like a little ways out. Um, but still, like you're yeah. really far. Like you're pretty much done. <laughs> uh, but you know, there's definitely um, a couple rounds of editing. I think that, or like you know, there, we have. So you go through developmental edits, then you do line edits, and then you do copy edits, which is the most finicky part. And like, <laughs> it is the, definitely the the part of of publishing that drives me nuts the most just mm-hmm. simply because it's someone asking did you really mean to do this and either you have to say no or <laughs> you have to say yes and here's why oh um, so you really need to know like grammatically uh-huh. why your book is that way yep and uh so that you know that 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 always uh is is a challenge just for me mature maturity wise because you know my my instinct is always to be like no i don't want to I wrote it that way. We're going to keep it that way. <laughs> and uh, you have to you know, give yourself a little bit of emotional space on that. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so that, you know, that is a work in progress. And I think we're probably looking at, you know, some more information on that coming out soon. Oh, cool. Um, I know that uh, what I've put out on Twitter thus far has just been uh, that it is a very loose retelling of the Goose Girl, which is, so it's in a totally completely new, different world. Um, it is so. It is a fairy tale retelling. Um, the Goose Girl is a slightly lesser known uh, story, and the the basics of it are um, that it's about a princess who is engaged to marry the prince of a faraway kingdom. Um, her mother gives her a magic charm before she travels over to go get married, and she also gives her a chambermaid uh, to just take care of her on the road. But as they are traveling, uh, the princess loses the magic charm, and the chambermaid is like, hey, guess what? Um, I'm the princess now. Give me your clothes and give me your horse. And uh, the the princess is like, uh, okay, I guess, for reasons that are unbeknownst to me. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> The, the the story is basically you know it, they they complete their journey the the chambermaid is perceived to be the princess uh the princess has to work in the castle as a goose girl uh eventually the the deception gets you know revealed and then the princess is restored and the maid dies horribly and this story is a retelling from the perspective of the wicked maid oh uh-huh. <laughs> And so it's basically about this girl who uh, has stolen the spot of um, her former mistress uh, and has used that to basically infiltrate high society and pull off a string of jewel heists. uh, (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Right? And, uh, you know, just basically case the joint from these, these fancy parties and then, you know, steal what she wants and she's uh getting ready to leave uh the country forever basically and then she in the space of one evening she finds out a her fiance is actually on his way back and expects to get married in two weeks b a highly trained thief detective or like like highly trained fantasy detective has now been placed on her trail um or on the trail of the of the thief the jewel thief um and c 
she has been she has stolen the uh, she's stolen a piece of jewelry from the wrong people and has wound up hmm. cursed by a local god to slowly turn into jewels herself unless she can make up for everything that she's taken before wow. the full moon. <laughs> wow. So a lot at stake for this girl. Uh-huh. And, you know, she's also a bit of a, of a gremlin girl, uh, as it were. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, it, it was it's definitely been a lot of fun. It's unlike anything I've really written before. But, you know, the the um, it definitely still, like, tackles some questions about things like, you know, being a servant in a time of serfdom and, uh, you know, power and privilege and, and how that t- sort of interacts with crime um, and how, you know, crime and the justice system and, uh, you know, the big question I wanted to ask is you have this moment, this sort of pivotal moment that happens very early in the fairy tale, usually, uh, where the maid decides she's going to take the princess's place. And what I wanted to ask, you know, what could A, drive someone to do that? And B, what does it say, you know, that this person can just basically impersonate this princess flawlessly and not get caught you know what does that say about um the, you know all these things that used to sort of define um used to define you know royalty and, and nobility is like well okay do you really need to be born a princess to be one <laughs> you know or can if this is something that just a maid can do successfully on her own then what what good is it? What, you know, what, what are, what's our criteria here? Why do we have this? <laughs> hmm. Oh, that's really interesting. That sounds really, I'm assuming you won't need to know the, the story to be able to get into it. The original fairy tale. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a very, it's a very loose retelling. Yeah, no, that sounds really cool though. <laughs> like, and it's always fun to see things from the, the perspective of what is known as the villain. And, and it sounds like you're mm. doing a different take. Like she's not, Black, it's not oh, no, a black she's, and she's white a terrible villain. person but i'm saying it's not a black and white villainy there's yes. there's nuance uh-huh. there i like her like she's awful but oh yeah so she's you know it's there's definitely um one of the things that the, the story also engages with is like you know i don't want to i didn't want to do something like oh well she was driven to do this by you know all kinds of tragedy because she does have um you know uh some difficulty in her past uh but i wanted it to be this sort of you know I wanted to ask these questions about, you know, is it always, you know, like you said, as, as black and white as it seems, Mm -hmm. but also, you know, how, one of the big questions is when you are processing trauma, uh, or I wouldn't call it a question, but like, you know, one of the things, one of the themes is um, when sometimes when people process trauma, they do it in ways that are very damaging to themselves and, you know, they're kind of driven to isolate themselves. And that's kind of the place where we see her coming from the main character uh, as she is kind of driven to try to protect herself and to handle her life on her own and not seek help from anyone. Hmm. And, um, you know, I wanted to, to sort of touch on that or, you know, and dig into that, that phenomenon of, dealing with your your problems or the, the, you know being so traumatized and feeling you know like betrayed by people that you care about that you try to solve all of your problems yourself without except you know and without allowing other people into your life uh and isolating yourself basically huh. um and uh that you know that was definitely that's a big part of the book is this sort of journey to not just like you know face you know oh well I'm a bad person but also to understand 
the factors that led her to make these choices that are, you know, in some ways self-destructive or, you know, the, part of the, the, the thing is her first victim is herself. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's oftentimes you are hurting yourself, even if you don't consciously think that you are. Um, mm -hmm. So that makes sense. That would that sounds really interesting to read, like <laughs> to see this unraveling of 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 choices, I guess, and like mm -hmm. why she does what she does. So it sounds yeah, very it, cool. It, it's it's also I I feel like I'm uh, focusing on a lot of the sort of like emotional aspects, but it's also just one of the most nonsense books that I've ever written in a fun <laughs> way because you know you can get away with so much stuff when you're doing a fairy tale retelling like there's there there are living statues there are um there's a joke about I got I managed to get a three wolf moon joke into there and my editor allowed me and I don't think I, anything will ever be quite as good as that but like there, there are so many um you know, she's the the narrator is very irreverent uh, mm. in a way that really kind of lets my lets me stretch my legs on some on some of the the observations that she makes. I mean, that's gonna be a blast to write. Oh, oh it's so much fun! Like because you get to be irreverent in through her, basically, like mm -hmm. see the world that way. That sounds awesome. Oh man, so that'll be fun to keep our eyes open for. Um, and it's great that you're mm -hmm. chugging along. I mean, pandemic has been good for some things I've found with people. <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. and that's good. You had the time to kind of dig into that. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I was prepared basically because I was already living more or less in quarantine yeah. while I was writing. And then <laughs> at the end of, or at the beginning of March, I was like, all right, I'm done. I finished my draft. And I'm ready to be free and go out to the wild. And, nope. and yeah, and you're in <laughs> Seattle. So Washington like was one of the first yep. places that exploded too. Sure and it was like, was. <laughs> the world is ending. Sorry. Can't leave your house. <laughs> I was like, yep. okay, great. Awesome. <laughs> Um, yep. <laughs> yeah, because I even saw on the back of the arc here, it was like, appearances at Emerald City Comic Con. I'm like, yeah, Emerald City Comic Con did not yeah. happen this year. Nope. Sorry. Bye. It did not. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's funny. It did not. It was oh, It was such a bummer. I had so many cool trips planned, uh, but that's okay. Both. It's all right. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a new normal and we'll figure it out. And I, I mean, it's been really neat. You know, the book community has really come together with, with you know, Instagram, you know, TV and zoom and there's been so many yeah. wonderful things that gives more people access to things that they wouldn't have yes. that weren't just regional now which is very cool like hey it's a book launch and anyone can go you don't have to be in new york city or yeah. in seattle or wherever you can actually just log in and go cool i want to hear what these authors have to say you know which is very very cool um yeah before we go i always like to ask people if they've read anything good lately are you are you reading it all? I'm in the trenches, I know, with the writing, but have you have you read anything that you would recommend? It doesn't necessarily have to be fantasy, but I'm just, I'm always curious what people are reading. I am actually um, about, like, I finally have uh, on my schedule, like, I have scheduled reading time now. Uh, <laughs> but, like, I, you know, I, I try not to read too much while I'm drafting. That makes sense. Uh, right, because I, I tend to pick up, you know, mm -hmm. like, voice tweaks uh you know voice quirks uh in in my writing from other influences pretty easily so i try to to prevent that as much as possible but um so one of my favorite recent reads was scavenge the stars by tara sim mm. and you know if, especially if you were a big fan of knife girls uh that is your jam it is a retelling of the canon monte crisco i always say monte crisco but it's Monte Cristo. Uh, <laughs> yeah, close enough. You're right. Oh, like Crisco uh, sounds am, great. <laughs> right. 
I am probably going to be diving into a song of Wraiths and Ruin today. Uh, uh, I am so excited. I cannot wait to read that. That's up actually. I'm like have published books I'm trying to read between like advanced copies right. prepping for interviews. And that is like, I have the audiobook oh. for that set aside actually for my next audiobook. So I'm really stoked to read that one too. It looks so good. It does look really <laughs> good. So yeah, it sounds like you've got some good stuff like. Right. That you've just done and on your on your plate. I, I laugh because I also have to schedule reading time in. But that's I'm like, at least you get to do it. At least you get to schedule You're reading right. time in. But awesome. This was so good. Thank you for chatting with me today. Of course. Thank you for having me. This has been fantastic. Yeah, this was really fun. And guys, um, if you have not read The Merciful Crow and you are a fantasy fan, you definitely should check it out. It's excellent. And if you have read it or even if you haven't, um, the Faithless Hawk, the second book in this awesome fantasy duology, is out on August 18th. And so you can do some pre-ordering now. She was saying earlier, you can get some really cool art prints and character mm -hmm. cards and support a local, you know, business and an author and all that great stuff. So definitely check them out. And uh, on our end, on the podcast, we will be back soon with some really great interviews. I have a couple guests lined up uh, that are very exciting and I'm really stoked to be able to bring those to you soon. So don't forget to tune in next time. Okay, thanks guys. Bye.